0: Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. How are we doing? All right. So um, if this is your first time here, or if I've not met you before, uh, the gentleman you normally see up here is Pastor Chris. And uh, Pastor Chris um, is taking off a couple of well-deserved Sundays. Um, I would say that I wish him a time of relaxation, but he's actually camping with his three oldest boys. So... I'm not sure how much relaxation he's going to be doing, but uh, we'll be certainly glad to have him back next Sunday. For those of you who I have not met, uh, my name is Kevin Davis, and I'm one of the elders here at Firewell Bible Fellowship. I'm also uh, one of our teachers here on a Sunday morning as we've been going through the book of Romans. Um, As I've said before, anytime I am up here and able to preach the word of the Lord to you, I always consider it an honor to be able to have the opportunity to do that. Um, so, can I be honest with you about something? Is that okay? So, um, you know, Pastor Chris and I were talking a few weeks ago, and he was assigning the passages that I was gonna be, uh, going to be doing while he was gone. He's, I'm going to be gone these days. Kevin, you'll be covering these. And so, as I got through there and I started studying, I've been preparing these past few weeks, and in particular with this passage today, I went and called him. He and I were talking. I said, man, this is, this is a really tough passage. He goes, yep, sure is. And so— <laughs> So, um, but, uh, but, but it is, it's, it's a tough passage today, and I'm telling you this because for those of you who maybe you're new here, we do what's called expository teaching, okay? So we go verse by verse. So we don't skip verses, we don't skip chapters, and if there's some verses that are uncomfortable, and some of these today are gonna make you uncomfortable. And I just wanna tell you that up front, but, but we're not gonna skip over those. We're going to go over those today. Uh, something real quick here, you know, we come together on Sunday morning, and we do that for the purpose of being able to worship. And you know, and I'm, I'm so grateful for our worship band that we're able to do that, that we're able to worship together. But another form of worship that we have is giving. And so just keep that in mind here that you can give online, uh, you can text. We have the boxes located at the back of the auditorium and you can drop your offering in there as well. So the title of our sermon today is The Eternal Danger of Being Neutral. Okay, and so um, the term neutral, and I was was looking for a couple of different definitions for neutral. And one of them said that it was not taking part or giving assistance in a dispute between others. We got any disputes in our culture right now? Yeah, yeah. Um, It also says not aligned with or supporting any side or position. Now maybe you've heard someone say the following, "Um, I don't like taking extreme views. I like to stay right in the middle. You know, just maintain a neutral position or ride the fence. Now is this a good idea? For a believer, there may be a certain appeal to that, but underneath it all, there lurks a legitimate danger that can have eternal consequences as we'll read about today. Now, just a brief review of where we were last week in Matthew chapter 12. Um, we looked at how the Pharisees were accusing Jesus and his disciples of what they considered to be breaking the Sabbath. And Jesus responded and he told these Pharisees that he, Jesus, was actually Lord of the Sabbath. Now, these Pharisees became increasingly frustrated with what Jesus was doing, with his miracles, and with what Jesus was saying to the point that they were so filled with fury, as we read about in Luke's account, that they were now wanting to find a way to kill Jesus. All right, so let's get into our scripture this morning. We're gonna be in Matthew chapter 12, and we're gonna be starting out in verse, verse 22. Everybody say, word. Word. All right, let's get into the scripture this morning. Then a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him and he healed him so that the man spoke and saw and all the people were amazed and said can this be the son of david but when the pharisees heard this they said it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons that this fellow drives out demons jesus knew their thoughts and he said to them every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined and every city or household divided against itself will not stand satan If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons, by Beelzebul, by whom do your people drive them out? So then they will be your judges. It is by the Spirit of God that I drive out, if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions? Unless he first ties up the strong man, then he can plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, you are worthy, Lord, and we exalt your name. And we thank you, Father, that we have access to your word. And I thank you, Lord, that we are able to gather here together in person. And have fellowship, Lord, and do worship. Father, I pray um, that this message today is pleasing to you. I pray the purpose of Firewell Bible Fellowship is pleasing to you. Lord, I pray for every person in here. Help us to be free from distractions with whatever's going on in our culture, in our homes, in our jobs, in our personal lives, Father. Please, with your Holy Spirit, help us to clear our minds, Lord, so that that we can concentrate on what you want us to hear today, Father. We give you the glory and the honor for you and you alone are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, now, um, you may remember from last week's sermon that Jesus had an encounter with a man with a shriveled hand who Jesus healed. Now, as we continue in chapter 12 of Matthew today, we see from the text that Jesus now has an encounter with whom? A demon-possessed man, okay? Says he's blind and mute. Now what does Jesus do with this man? Once again, he heals him, okay? We know this because at the end of verse 22, Matthew tells us that the man can now see and speak. Now how did the people react to this? Now verse 23 tells us that the crowds were amazed or they were astonished at what they just witnessed. Yet another amazing miracle right before their very eyes. But then Matthew tells us that these crowds who were so amazed at this miracle, they ask a very pertinent question. Could this man, this man being Jesus, could he be the son of David? Now let's take a quick look at that term son of david now we had briefly mentioned david last week in the first few verses of chapter 12 and and we we discussed that david david was a king from several hundred years before jesus's earthly ministry but what exactly does that term mean son of david well son of david is a reference to the messiah the belief among the jews at that time was that the messiah would come from the bloodline Of King David now we also read the following uh, from John's Gospel in John 7 42 has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem the village where David was now for clarification real quick when you see the term Christ and you see the term Messiah know that they both mean anointed one Christ is Greek the Messiah is Hebrew, but their meaning is the same. They both mean anointed one. Now, we also look at the Gospel of Mark in Mark 12, 35, and as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? When God made a covenant with David himself, he tells him in Psalm 89, 4, I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations and finally from the book of revelation revelation five five and one of the elders said to me weep no more behold the lion of the tribe of judah the root of david has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals see our first point this morning is very simple but it's also very important as we read the text point number one jesus is from the line of david and we're going to need to understand that as we work our way through chapter 12. jesus is from the line of david now when we read the term son of david we need to understand that jesus does meet this requirement so kudos to the crowd for asking this because it is a very relevant question now you see we have this genealogy spelled out for us earlier from chapter 1 of matthew we have the scriptures that testify Jesus being of the bloodline of David as well now who else is there well of course the Pharisees are there so let's see what the Pharisees say in response to this man Jesus being the son of David now before we look at what they say just a quick review about the Pharisees so far the Pharisees so far They have witnessed firsthand the miracles of Jesus, multiple times, okay? They have witnessed firsthand the miracles of Jesus. And we talked about this last Sunday where we said the term seeing is believing, and we said that doesn't apply here because the Pharisees saw, but they didn't believe, okay? Number two, the Pharisees have heard firsthand the teachings of Jesus. With their own eyes, they saw the miracles. With their own ears, they heard the teachings of Jesus. Number three, despite the miracles, despite the words, they have consistently denied that Jesus was the Messiah. And they're gonna continue to do that in our reading today. Number four, they could not dispute what Jesus said. And that was the most frustrating aspect for the Pharisees is that Jesus knew the word because Jesus was the word. And so Jesus constantly is using scripture when he's, when he's dealing with the Pharisees, but they could not dispute what he said. And finally, the last one, we talked about this last week, they come to an agreement to murder Jesus. So that is a brief summary of the Pharisees so far. But now... The Pharisees are going to take another step, and they are going to make a very foolish and damning statement, as they attribute these miracles that Jesus is performing before their very eyes, and they're going to attribute it to Satan himself. This is a very dangerous statement to make. It is by the Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this man cast out demons. Now quickly on that term Beelzebub. we've seen it before, it was used previously in Matthew 10, 25. Uh, the term comes from the name of an ancient pagan god worshiped by the Philistines, which roughly means Lord of the Flies. Now over time in Jewish culture, it came to be synonymous with Satan himself. Now, see what the Pharisees have done, the religious elite, the scribes, they have now moved from denying who Jesus was to actually accusing him of being the exact opposite of who he really was. Now Matthew goes and tells us that Jesus knew their thoughts, perhaps a reference to the omniscience of Jesus, that a kingdom or house that is divided against itself cannot stand, including the kingdom of Satan. What a foolish statement to make that Jesus was casting out demons by the power of Satan, who was the prince of demons. Especially when we consider that Jesus had previously cast out demons in other places in Scripture, including earlier in Matthew chapter eight verse 33. The herdsmen fled, and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And in that story, which we don't have time to read the whole story, but there was two demon-possessed men, and, and Jesus Uh, sent sent the demons out of them and into a herd of pigs or swine. This is something that there is no doubt the Pharisees would have been aware of. Now, Jesus goes on and he makes an interesting statement in verse 27 when he asks the Pharisees, by whom do your sons cast out demons? Now, uh, we read the following from Dr. Constable. It says, if the Pharisees asserted that Jesus cast out demons by Satan's power— they would have to admit that their sons did so by the same power, something the Pharisees would have denied. Now, Jesus then says that the kingdom of God has come upon you. Now, we hear that term a lot, kingdom of God or kingdom of the Lord. Now, when Jesus makes the statement, we may exactly wonder what does he mean by the kingdom of God coming upon you? You see, the Messiah was present. Okay, there was no need for the Jews to keep waiting for the Messiah because he was there. Okay, Jesus had already come. He was right there before the eyes and ears, not only of the crowd who was amazed and astonished, but he was right there before the eyes and ears of the Pharisees, the ones who allegedly knew prophecy and who knew the law. But the Pharisees just didn't get it. Now, Jesus gives us a story um, about in order to plunder a strong man's house, one must first tie the strong man up so that he could carry off his property. Now, this may seem like a strange story for us, but we may ask ourselves, what is Jesus talking about here? Well, in this story, the strong man is a reference to Satan himself, which makes sense because Jesus himself is being accused Of driving out demons and the power of satan now earlier in chapter 4 satan had tempted jesus multiple times in the wilderness but jesus triumphed over satan and he resisted all that satan had to offer wayne grudem tells us the following from systematic theology it says the strong man is satan and during his earthly ministry Jesus had entered the strong man's house, that is, the world of unbelievers, and he was plundering the house, that is, freeing people from satanic bondage and bringing them into the joy of the kingdom of God. Amen. We also read from Dr. David Jeremiah who tells us the following, Jesus invited the Pharisees to look at his healing of the demon-possessed man from a different angle, declaring that he, Jesus, had already bound Satan and was now plundering his goods. By freeing people from demons. This verse provides an incredible picture of the comprehensive su- superiority and authority of Jesus over Satan. You see, Jesus was actively doing kingdom work on the earth, that was his ministry. He was doing kingdom work before the eyes and the ears of multiple people. Although the Pharisees accused him, of doing the exact opposite. This brings us to point number two this morning. Jesus, and only Jesus, has authority to deliver us from the grasp of Satan. Now the lost person, whether they are aware of it or not, are in the powerful grip of Satan. At one time, I was under the power and control of Satan. I had no power to free myself. Only Jesus has that authority. Okay, so then Jesus says something in verse 30, and I think sometimes we want to gloss over this or just ignore it because it's one of those uncomfortable statements. You see, when we do verse by verse expository teaching, as I mentioned earlier, we can't skip over the uncomfortable verses. Here, The Lord clarifies how crucial it is to wholly believe in Jesus and Jesus alone. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. See, Jesus' point here is pretty clear. See, you and I have to decide, are we with Jesus Yes, okay, good. Um, If not, Jesus tells us, we are against him. However you want to view this, however you want to read this, this is what Jesus says. The IVB commentary explains it this way. It says, finally, this list of arguments concludes with Jesus' warning that whoever— was not on his side, was on the other side. Jesus allows no would-be disciples to straddle the fence. One either follows him or one opposes him. Point number three this morning, being neutral in belief of Jesus as the Messiah is not an option. Okay, We're either for him or we are against him. And I realize, and I'm very much aware that this is not popular in our culture today. But I also want us to remember and understand, no matter how something is popular or unpopular in culture, it doesn't change the Word of God. Okay? And we need to remember that, and we do so in love, but when we're talking about God's Word, it doesn't change. And if if we read about it from James and Paul and the words of Jesus, if they were true 2,000 years ago, they're true today, and they're going to be true tomorrow, and they will always be true. But being neutral in belief of Jesus as the Messiah is not an option. Now, straddling the fence, it may seem like a safe option. Actually, it's just the opposite. You see, we can lull ourselves into believing that we— just sort of, kind of believe in Jesus, or, or, or that maybe we can take a stance of just disinterests. But see, as a believer in Christ, I don't have that option. See, here's what being neutral about Jesus, here, here's a few things about that. Being neutral about Jesus, number one, it has no foundation. So if we're neutral about Jesus, what is our foundation? We don't have one. Okay, so being neutral about Jesus, number one, it has no foundation. Number two, being neutral about Jesus, it has no merit. Okay, it serves no good purpose. It may seem safe, but it's very dangerous, but it has no merit. And number three, and this is the big one, being neutral about Jesus has no hope. I've said this multiple times, anytime that I've got the chance to stand up here, my hope is in Jesus. Apart from Jesus, what hope do we have? None. So being neutral about Jesus results in no hope. To be a true believer in Christ, this is simply not an option. We are either with Jesus or against him. That's what Jesus tells us here. And as we continue to read the text, Jesus will have some more words for the Pharisees. Verse 31 of Matthew chapter 12, and so I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven but blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Either in this age or in the age to come, make a tree good and its fruit will be good, or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad, for a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have ever spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned." So Jesus tells the Pharisees, first off, that there is a sin that will not be forgiven. Now I've had conversations with people over, year, over the years and this may cause some of us to be alarmed or frightened, but let's look at exactly at what Jesus is saying here. And once again, let's read it in context, which we, which we should do with any verse that we read. Jesus says that whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Now, when we read this in context, we see that Jesus is speaking to whom? To to the Pharisees. So He's speaking to the Pharisees. We answered that earlier. Now, what has the interaction been like with Jesus and the Pharisees? Okay, we just looked at the review all ago, right? They've denied what he said, but they heard it. They denied what he did, although they saw it and they refused to believe to the point to where they were wanting to kill him. They could not dispute what he said. Jesus has given the Pharisees every opportunity to believe in him. He has performed an abundance of miracles. He's consistently and accurately applied the words of the law and the prophets to his own earthly ministry. See, Jesus was the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, so the pharisees were not sinning in ignorance they had access to the law they had access to the words of the prophets they saw and heard firsthand what jesus was doing but they still chose to not only deny who jesus was but to actually say he was doing all of this through the power of the evil one satan himself again a very dangerous statement to make. Now, let's get a little bit of a clarification from a couple of different commentaries here. This is from the Reformation Study Bible, and it says that speaking against the Spirit, calling the work of the Spirit the work of Satan, involves an explicit, willful, and decisive rejection of the very power that can bring about repentance. The notion of the unforgivable sin has caused needless anxiety. Anyone who has been convicted of sin by the spirit and now believes the truth cannot possibly have committed it. Um, Lewis Burkhoff says the following, in committing that sin, man willfully, maliciously, and intentionally attributes what is clearly recognized as the work of God to the influence and operations of Satan, we may be reasonably sure that those who fear they may have committed it and worry about this and desire the prayers of others for them have not committed it. And finally from Dr. Constable, the words spoken simply reflected the attitude of the heart. God would not forgive this sin because the person who committed it in Jesus' day was thereby strongly reject- rejecting Jesus as the Messiah, even today. The only sin that a person can commit that God will not forgive and that will result in his or her eternal damnation is rejection of Jesus Christ. Keep in mind who Jesus was talking to. You see, the Pharisees should have realized that Jesus' claims were true. Why? Because they saw it, they heard it, but they still chose to reject him out of the hardness of their own hearts. And this sin, which resulted in a lack of repentance, And therefore, a lack of belief in who Jesus was, was the unpardonable sin. Why? Because if one continues to reject Jesus, there will come a time where that person will have no time left on this earth to accept him. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. And as we mentioned earlier, Jesus is our only hope to help us break free from the grip of Satan. If we continually deny Jesus, then we are giving credit to Satan and will remain in his grip forever. Told you these verses were tough today, so. Um, All right, so as we move on to verse 33, Jesus says a tree is known by its fruit. In other words, people will know that you and I are believers by our conduct and our character. Now, when reading the book of Matthew, we clearly see the kind of fruit that Jesus was producing, and we also see the kind of fruit that the Pharisees were producing as well. Now, Jesus takes off the gloves in verse 34 here when he refers to the Pharisees as what? A brood of vipers. Now, That's not a term I use a whole lot today, but... um, that, 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 that was not a complimentary term at that time, okay? So he refers to them as a brood of vipers. He makes a reference to their state of their hearts in verse 34. And what does he say their hearts were? Their hearts were evil. The good man produces good. The evil man produces evil. Now then in verses 36 and 37, Jesus goes from talking about the heart, and then he starts talking about about the words that we say by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned now why would Jesus go from speaking about the heart to then changing the topic to the words we say is there any relationship between our heart and what we say yeah the answer of course is yes there is you see what you and i say whether we are aware of it or not is a reflection of our heart we read the following from the apostle james james 3 6 and the tongue is a fire a world of unrighteousness the tongue is set among our members staining the whole body setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell the following from the apostle Paul comes from one of his letters to the Corinthian church and we read this from 2 Corinthians. He says, "For I Paul feared that perhaps when I come I may find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish, that perhaps there may be quarreling and jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, disorder." Oh, how we underestimate the power of the tongue. Yes, the tongue can be so damaging, but Jesus also tells us in verse 34 that there is good that can come from our words as well. Our final point this morning, the words we speak reveal the condition of our heart. The words that I speak, good or bad, they reveal the condition of my heart. You know, at times, there, like any of us, there are things that I've said that I wished I had not said, and then I'll say it, and then I'll, I'll say to myself, man, that's not me. I don't talk like that. And then it's like God's like, well, actually, you do. <laughs> you just did, okay? So the words I say reveal the condition of my heart. All right, guys, so we got some spiritual takeaways this morning here. So our first one this morning, whose authority do you recognize? See, we are all under the authority of someone, but there is one who has authority over all the others. Again, we go to the Apostle John. The Father loves the Son, and he's given what? All things into his hand. Not some things, not most things, but the Father has given all things into the hands of Jesus. We go back to Paul in Philippians, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And finally, from the last chapter in Matthew, Matthew 28, 18, and Jesus came and said to them, ALL AUTHORITY IN HEAVEN ON EARTH HAS BEEN GIVEN TO ME. DOES JESUS HAVE AUTHORITY? ALL AUTHORITY HAS BEEN GIVEN TO JESUS. WHOSE AUTHORITY DO YOU RECOGNIZE? THERE IS NONE HIGHER, THERE IS NONE GREATER, THERE IS NONE EQUAL. ALL AUTHORITY HAS BEEN GIVEN TO JESUS. ALL HOPE IS IN JESUS. AND APART FROM JESUS, WE CAN HAVE NO HOPE IF WE FAIL TO RECOGNIZE HIS AUTHORITY. I think so many times we think of Jesus as being this weak, meek, soft man, and that that wasn't Jesus, okay? Was he humble? Yes. Was Jesus strong? Yes. Jesus has authority. All authority has been given to him. Number two, I was trying to find the best way to word this, so I just said it's Jesus Christ and no one else. You know, I was preparing the sermon I read, and I thought, man, those words sound kind of harsh, but if I'm going to study God's Word, I can't ignore the words of Jesus from verse 30. But as a believer, I can also take great comfort from one of my favorite passages in the New Testament. It's John 10, 28 through 30. I give them eternal life and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. You see, what peace I can have knowing that once Jesus holds me in his hands, I will remain with him for all of eternity. And finally, number three, This is a hard one for me, man, words of wisdom, okay? Do our words glorify God? Do they tear down others? You know, and and for the record, because someone is a celebrity, maybe a politician, I don't know, maybe a president of the United States, or maybe the former president of the United States, um, or a head coach of a famous NFL team, or an athlete, or a Supreme Court justice. I don't see anywhere in Scripture where I, as a believer, have free reign to badmouth, tear down, and criticize someone solely because they're famous. I don't see that in Scripture. I think Ephesians 4.29 sums it up best. I love the way the NIV reads here. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. This is a verse that for years I had posted in my house, and I did that because I need it. Needed it then and I need it now, okay? Um, how much damage has been done by the tongue? Now, also, I want to say this. One of the things that that the Holy Spirit will remind me of from time to time is that there are times where it's perfectly acceptable for me to say nothing at all. Despite what we think, everybody doesn't need to know what we think all the time. All right? Now, there is a reason that Jesus and James and Paul and others address the tongue. But there is also so much good we can do as well with the words that we say. Let's encourage other people this week instead of tearing down. Let's be a verbal reflection of the Holy Spirit that dwells inside us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, we exalt your name, Lord, because you are worthy. You are the Alpha and the Omega. You are the beginning and the end. You are our living hope. You have no equal. You have no rival, Father. We worship you. And we thank you, Heavenly Father, for the cross, for the blood of Jesus. We thank you for his broken body. And I thank you, Father, that he did not stay in the grave, Father, that Jesus rose. We thank you, Lord, that we worship a living God today. Father, I want to pray for anybody in this service today who does not have a relationship with you, that you would reveal yourself to them, that you would reveal to them who you are, not who others say you are, but who you are. I pray, Father, for anyone in here, Lord, this week, and God, they're struggling with something, that you give them courage, give them peace, I pray you would open up an opportunity, Lord, for them to interact with other people who are believers in you. And I pray for those of us who are believers in you, Lord, give us guidance, help us, Lord, with what we say, that whatever disagreements we have with people in our culture right now, that we would respond in love, in truth, but also in love, Lord. I pray, Father, that the the service today was pleasing to you, that you would be pleased with it. And we honor you and worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys. Well, hey, it's been a real blessing for me to be able to uh, be up here these past two Sundays to share the word of the Lord with you. And, um, but I will be very glad to have Pastor Chris back here next Sunday. So, um, so we hope you will be, thank you. Thank you, thank you. But uh, hey, so, but hey, don't forget July 3rd, Pastor Chris, will be back. We're going to have a great celebration um, next Sunday. Um, if any of you need someone to pray with you or you want to talk to me after the service, I will be available to meet with you if you so desire. But now, it is time to go into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Honor all men. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering and share the gospel. Love and serve the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Until we meet again, same time, same place, next week. And don't forget, you are loved. Now go and tell someone else they are too. God bless.